Okay, so this is Nicole. This is for my podcast. And this is a new segment that we're starting called Nicole and Stacy Have a Conversation, which we um which I've named in a style of Ron Swanson. You know, just keep it simple. Keep yeah. it direct. Yeah. yeah, we love Ron Swanson. Yeah. So, um Stacy, want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Stacy. I'm anorexic, bulimic, and a compulsive overeater in recovery. Yay! And she's my sponsee. Yay! And Stacy and I are recovery nerds. Yes. We yes. love to get into it. Yeah. That's why I asked Stacy to come over. And I did ask the other sponsees, just so you know. I'm like, if there's something you want to talk about, come over. Um, so, our topic for today is uh, growing older in recovery. Stacy just turned 41 and I will be turning 50. In so, January. Right? In January. Yeah. yeah. And so we're at different stages of growing older. But again, you know, right before we started talking, we read a little thing off the web around women with body image issues. And, you know, it was clearly a list of of suggestions for people, for women, or it didn't say women, but it just said body image, for people who don't seem to have an eating disorder. Right. And certainly don't struggle with body image dysmorphia. Right. So, you know, that's really going to be the focus of this conversation is how we have to deal with that with, I assume, you also having the body image dysmorphia, rejecting the body and everything. And so do you want to go ahead and just... Tell yeah. us where you're at. Yeah. Or how about a little background? Sure. You know, a little bit of the history of your relationship to your body. <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, my The anorexia was the first kind of manifestation of the disease for me. Um, coming from a family where exercise and just activity is part of the family ethos. Um, so that easily kind of transformed into um, compulsive exercising and more extreme behaviors. And I was in ballet, which of course... Did you like your body when you saw it? Um, Yeah, when I was a kid, I remember... I just remember I liked moving. I remember the feeling of just, you know, enjoying Mm -hmm. movement and feeling kind of powerful. I was always, I think because I kind of grew up active, that just felt like a natural way of being Mm -hmm. for me. Um, So I liked... Yeah, I liked movement. I liked being physical in a way that I didn't have to think about it. You know, there's the freedom, right? right? For me, I, I look at sort of like before the disease, there was freedom in all kinds of different ways. Um, and then that's how that changes once the disease takes hold. So freedom in the sense that you were in your body, but you weren't aware of your body as something that was an object to be viewed? Right. That you were just got to be in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just got to be in it. And I actually... It's so funny. Uh, this is more related to beauty, but it's yeah. you know a related idea. I remember it was like the summer, either before or after third grade. So it was around that time, you know, around 10 years old or so, where I remember getting these little barrettes for my hair and mm-hmm. kind of thinking about, okay, if I comb my hair this certain way, like it's going to look cute with this barrette. And that's like the first conscious memory I have of like <laughs> being kind of aware of my appearance. And if yeah. I did something to it, you know, yeah. if I manipulate it in some way, it would have a certain effect, yeah. you know, some kind yeah. of effect that I was kind of achieve. And, yeah. you know, I, it's cute. I can laugh about that now as far as like that, that particular memory was like innocent yeah. and, you yeah. know, just a healthy, I'd, I'd say a rather healthy introduction to yeah. how a lot of 
kids and you know girls start kind of coming into that awareness. But when do you think you turned? Hmm. What was that like, the turning? Because right now we're sort of, we're talking about like, okay, this is a sort of normal young girls with their mm-hmm. body image. And then mm-hmm. you and I, we go on these tracks towards mm-hmm. body image dysmorphia. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, it was probably, it's like the prepubescent mm-hmm. kind of period, which for me was, you know, probably around 11 is when that kind of really started. And just maybe also having more awareness. Yeah. Um, at that time, to me, it was looking to my mom um, as, you know, the like, female physical role model and my mom is one of us um, with anorexia and compulsive exercising and so this was my role model as someone who was quite thin you know always very much in physical shape and I would I think I just started to have a growing awareness of comparing myself to her and seeing that my body is not like hers like my my thighs are not thin you know I've always had sort of a muscular build Mm -hmm. And like a gymnast kind of? Yeah, yeah. kind of like a gymnast. Or a um, dancer. Or yeah. a modern dancer, not a ballet dancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like when I look back at pictures of myself, I'm like, wow, I was just like a strong, fit kid. Right. You know? But then, of course, around that time is when I started to see that as fat. Because anything that was bigger, was I started to understand as fat. And this was, of course, for a lot of reasons. Not just comparing myself to my mom, but there were women's magazines all over the place in our house. That was like one of the main types of media I was really, mm-hmm. you know, consuming as I grew up. So just all of that imagery. And of course this was in the eighties and then going into the nineties where those particular images were very much thin white women. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting to internalize some of that, that like comparing just where the comparing begins, like, and also I, the nineties is when Kate, Kate when, Moss, Kate Moss, uh-huh. you know, where we all thought she was a 12 year old girl. Yeah. And she was 14 when she started her modeling career, but, yeah. by the way, like yeah. when she got really famous and yeah, basically looked like a, pretty pubescent yeah. girl. 11-year-old, yeah. Um, that, you know, grown women were mm-hmm. comparing themselves to. So, yeah. yeah, so growing, you know, just being in that whole environment. And then, of course, and I'd been in dance for, oh, let's see, maybe since I was nine or eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably around eight. And I remember just enjoying it, not really thinking much about it for the first few years. But, of course, when you're in that environment, in classic dance studios yeah. and ballet studios, you're standing in front of a mirror the entire class. And the right. focus is like, you're looking at your body and looking at whether you are doing, using the correct technique and right. you know, holding your arms correctly, all of that. But along with that comes, you can't help but scrutinize, scrutinize your, body your body because you're yeah. literally staring at yourself yeah. for an hour or more. Yeah. Um, so it's like all those things came together for me. So then your relationship to your body completely changes. Yeah. From just being something that you're present in and and just enjoying being in to something now that you are scrutinizing, comparing, and feeling a sense that you need to change? Mm-hmm. Like make changes to it or are you just scrutinizing it? Yeah, no, the scrutiny probably started first, but fairly soon after. Yeah, with that sense of... You've got to fix it. Yeah, and I couldn't have articulated, of course, any of this. I've only been able to articulate it in the last you know, few years in recovery, really. But the, but the, that's why you're here, because yeah, you're a nurse. Exactly, the subconscious idea. Yeah. I knew on some level to be accepted, yeah. to, be, to get that social currency, yeah. right? That we learn that this is what women, the main social currency that we often are operating on. Yeah. Um, and then translating that for a variety of other reasons as to be loved, yeah. I needed to look a certain way, right? right? This was the, the message I was getting in all kinds of different ways. 
Um, and there's another factor, which our listeners don't know, which is that you had a dad who also supported the images in the women's magazine. Yes. So you had the two influences. So not only did you have your mom who was modeling it, but then you have your male role model affirming yes. this idea. Yeah. If anything, they were equal, I'd say, in that influence where my dad was, um, yeah, he was perpetuating uh, just by his... Uh, verbally, mm-hmm. you know, by the different comments, things he would comment about, you know, other women, women on TV. You know, it was always like, oh, she's, you know, she's a pretty girl. There was a certain always type that he would say that about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, it's like when you're a kid, you're not conscious of this, but you start to gather enough data, enough evidence where it's like, okay, that must be what equals pretty right. and Right. He's only commenting on pretty girls. Mm-hmm. So the only girls worth your dad's attention and notice, mm-hmm. hence therefore, must be pretty girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but along with that also was definitely some negative commentary about fat girls. Right. So there so, was ooh, a, yeah. a whole contempt that would come out. Of like, right. It's almost like, how dare that woman be fat? Like, right. Who does she think she is, like having a right to be fat? Right. right. Or to, to look in a way that doesn't please me. That yeah. was the whole sort of... Um, kind of attitude. Yeah. So it was that we're like, Oh, so especially also if I want to please men right. yeah. or be liked by any man. And of course that becomes important around 12, 13 for most right. people. Yeah. Well, then I definitely don't want to be the fat girl right. because yeah, she clearly is not what men would be interested in, um, or even accept in any yeah. way. Um, and then of course my mom was then the, the physical embodiment of those ideals. Like right. she is, she is the one who was following, right. um, yeah, and fitting into that. So high school, was that when you hit the anorexic bottom? Um, middle school is really when that um, was most intense. So it, it happened fast. For okay, me, it yeah. was like, I got into a little bit of like kind of the dieting. I was getting a lot of this from women's magazines, mm-hmm. you know, learning like, oh, you can follow this diet. There's always a diet. Every issue right. had at least one diet of like, follow this, you know, each day, yeah. like what you should eat or, you know, learning to cut out dessert, you know, just yeah. little things. I was learning like little, okay, this is how the manipulation works. All and of a sudden knowing what calories are. Exactly. So there's the whole new awareness around, yeah. you know, how does, how does food affect my body and how does, you know, exercise affect my body? And then, yeah, one of the big things for me, I think I was probably about 11 and where I could see the effect of that manipulation. Mm-hmm. Like, and especially at that age, at least for me, your metabolism is like through the roof. And so, right any kind of reduction in your food is generally going to show pretty fast. At least that's my story. Um, So it was like, oh, yeah, I do look a little thinner. And I think, of course, my dad was probably the first one who noticed. I remember, you know, there's some comment like, oh, you're looking thin. Um, And I don't know if there was any other positive, like, affirmation around, like, you look good. But it was definitely the way he said it. Yeah. That was a, a... an approval right. of that. Like, oh, you look thinner. He had been out of town. Yeah. I think this was maybe when we had moved and my dad, um, I hadn't seen him for a couple weeks um, because he was, you know, back doing some things yeah. where he had lived before. So there's a little bit of period of time where even in that amount of time, you know, it was like maybe two weeks or so, yeah. I looked a little different. So that was another thing that clicked in for me of like, yeah. oh, okay. Another nail in the coffin. Exactly. Another nail in the <laughs> coffin. Exactly. Yeah. So to speak. Um so that, it's like all those little, yeah, that was yet another kind of stepping stone on my mm-hmm. way. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of more of that, more experiences like that, becoming more and more aware of this dance world, hearing yeah. more things in the dance world. It was very, like we were all just becoming indoctrinated in that culture. When I right. think of all of us dancers at that age, you would see the older dancers, you know, they were maybe 15 right. or so. 
and you would see and hear them talking about their bodies. So it's right. all, all this is just being passed down, right, and right. perpetuated. So it's like part of that is just... So now we definitely have, like, there you are on your path, and now you are derailed into eating disorder land and body image dysmorphia land. Yeah. And so that started, did that carry you all the way through high school? The dance culture and everything? Was it just Um, this constant scrutiny of the body, constantly wanting to fix it, getting thin? So What was that journey like? Yeah, so basically... Because you're getting older, uh-huh. you know, so then we've got, you know, you getting a period, getting boobs, mm-hmm. getting hips. Yeah, so I think this was like seventh grade, so I was 13. Um, that's really when the anorexia took off, when I really, for a variety of reasons, um, just start, started to see how far I could take it. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just going to maybe skip dessert tonight or, you know, these little things. It was like, it's on. Um, and I think I got my period maybe twice it was a handful of times right and then I didn't get it again for maybe two years right thing so that just kind of shows you like where that anorexia period was um I won't go into all the details yeah. of like you yeah. know kind of the medical you know steps around that but and then it was kind of by like maybe my yeah sophomore year of high school around 15 16 I remember still really wanting to keep up all those behaviors like that sense of control yeah but I remember I was feeling exhausted by them. I mean, what a sad, what a sad image of a 15 or 16 year old feeling like exhausted by life. But right. I really did. It's like, I can't keep this up. This right. is so exhausting. It was taking so much of my energy. If you look at my journals from that time, it's always just like, I got to cut back again. Or this is when the binging started yeah. because I just, I couldn't keep up that restrictive okay. lifestyle. Yeah. And so it's like, I think also because my body just needed more food, I would just start to eat and then I couldn't stop. So that's when like the kind of alternating between restricting and binging started happening for me. And And was that your main form of bulimia, the binge and then restrict? Or did you do the binge exercise, binge purge, binge laxative, binge restrict? Those are the four classic forms of bulimia. Yeah, for me it was mostly uh, binge restrict and binge uh, compulsive exercise. Okay. I only use laxatives like a handful of times. Um, after shitting my pants on them once, I pretty much <laughs> was, was like, like, all right. That's a fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So tried it. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. tried purging, but it never took for me, which I'm yeah. grateful for now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's mostly the exercise and then re- the restriction and response. So that was like basically, I'd say the rest of high school kind of alternating. That was right. my behavior it was like periods of restriction, periods of overeating and binging. Yeah. And then another big turning point for me was, I guess I was around 17. This was like junior year. I started drinking and using drugs. Right. So that was another kind of just element of, I just needed relief from myself. Yeah. I needed relief from all these voices in my head and, you know, everything, um, all the shame and everything that I've right. been already struggling with was, this was a, a way to, to deal with it. So yeah. that added a whole other layer. Yeah. With all that behavior. And during that time period, when did you come into OA? How long? So I came into OOA when I was 30. 30. Okay. So we've got basically a 12-year time period Mm -hmm. where either drinking or doing drugs. Yeah. What was your relationship to your body like during that time? Did you find some relief from your body obsession with the drinking and doing drugs? Like, you know, in the sense that I could imagine if you're stoned and whatever that you're like, who gives a shit? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine as if that's never happened to me. (laughs) I've heard. (laughs) Well, we'll leave Nicole to her story whenever she wants to share that. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I know this. I don't know if this is actually controversial to say or not, but I've I've heard it in the rooms, and I. It doesn't matter. It's my podcast. Yeah, I I think I I should say the first time I, I heard it in the rooms. I remember being kind of surprised, but totally identifying where someone had said something like, "I think my drinking and drug use weirdly saved my life." Yeah. At least for a little while. Yeah. And I think that's true for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know what would have happened with the anorexia and the other, you know. Yeah. And the binging and other other binge eating and other stuff for me. But it did, it brought me some relief when nothing else could. Yeah. And of course it became its own problem and its yeah. own destruction. But yeah, it did. It's like, there was those times where it's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. I don't give a shit right now. Yeah. It was that, that oblivion, right? That's like, I just needed, yeah, I wanted a break from all of it. Yeah. And it provided that. It really worked really well for quite Until a while. Until you got sober. Until I got sober. Yeah. And then, you know, like a lot of us, you know, where we go into that room you know, we get clean and sober and it's like, oh, we go back to our, oh, but I didn't start with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. I started with food. Started with food. Yeah. And for yeah. me, I'm grateful now it was pretty quick. Like I was only sober for maybe six months right. and, yeah. and I was, I was binging a lot during that period. It mm-hmm. was very clear. Um, if it hadn't already been clear to me, it became clear then that I needed, I was using food to numb right. pain and to just get through life and the my binging like really returned with a vengeance after I got sober so and you got sober when um so this was January 2009 okay so we still have so but in terms of relating to your body Mm -hmm. even with the drugs and alcohol yeah because was that the time that you actually gained a lot of weight you were in Spain yeah, that was a few years before I got sober. Right, um, okay. Yeah. So that's you for the... So you go for from the anorexia mm-hmm. to actually having gained weight. Mm-hmm. So, because again, the bulimia is we tend to manage weight. Mm-hmm. We eat the same as sometimes 100 pounders, mm-hmm. but then we are like, we hide it. Right. You know. So what about, how are you relating to your body during this time before... Let's say before you go into OA. Right. Um, yeah, it still was a lot of like back and forth. So that whole period. Um, Are you liking your body? Are you enjoying it? To, uh, sometimes yes. Yeah, great. S- yes. Sometimes yes. Um, Hence the drugs and alcohol. Right. And it's like, yeah. and I would get either some of that, you might want to call it false confidence. Yeah. Or it was, you know, I'd like to believe it was confidence that was actually there and the yeah. drugs and alcohol helped to bring some of it out. Yeah. Right. Um, could put aside you yeah. know, some of those worries and be like, I don't give a shit and yeah. you know, go out was, go yeah. out and feel sexy and use my sexual power yeah. as a woman in her twenties. Yeah. I mean and I worked at a bar for yeah. years and so there was a lot of sexual power I was using yeah. there. That was basically what my whole job was surrounded. Yeah. Um, I had the exact same and I wasn't even thin, but I had the exact same thing where it was like during my drug and alcohol years, I didn't I was fine with my body. I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the benefit of the drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's like that just, it wasn't my focus, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But I would say for me, relationships were my focus. Yeah. Working too much was my problem. Right. Right. You know. That's another episode. Yeah. That's right? another episode, <laughs> which Stacy and I will both be able to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. back to, so, yeah. cause we're doing the trajectory. You're relating to your body. You change, you go into the dysmorphia, anorexia. You're now you're in your twenties, drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So is the body image dysmorphia, is it just gone underground? Is it popping up every now and then? Yeah, I think for me it still was very much present, but it's like 
when I was on drugs or drinking, then it would go underground. So right. if anything, the the constant was more of the body dysmorphia was still there, but I could right. like get it to lie dormant for a little while, um, especially when I was using more. Um, but I'd also still swing back in these periods then too. It's like the pattern of restriction and um, permission might be another mm-hmm. way to think of it because it wasn't just around overeating or binging. It's like the drugs and alcohol went along with that, all those mm-hmm. permissive behaviors, you might call them. Right. But I'd still swing back and forth between that, the permissive behaviors, and then back to deprivation. Right. And that was was how I still got this sense of control through those years. So it was this cycle that I would go into every few months sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'd go into that... Uh, kind of cycle where I might restrict and lose weight for like three weeks. Yeah, like how are you in terms of being in front of the mirror again? Because we Mm. use that, you know, as a good... So now you're in your Mm. 20s in front of a mirror, and what's that relationship like? Yeah, I'd say that also was kind of back and forth. Like Mm -hmm. there would be times when I I would lose weight for a variety of reasons. Maybe I was in one of these restricted periods. Maybe I was doing a lot of cocaine during the time. That was another thing for me that was like drugs were part of my restriction plan at that point. Um, So where I'd be like, oh, happy that I had, you know, unexpectedly lost this weight. Yeah. And then times when I was eating more and just drinking more um, where I would be very dissatisfied. Um, so there was definitely still always a lot of right. judgment and attachment uh, to self-worth based on what I saw. It was going to determine how I felt right. that day yeah. still for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you come into OA, mm-hmm. you know, and what's the... Where are we at with the temperature on the body image dysmorphia? Yeah. Um, that definitely was a bottom of sorts for me. Um, in my kind of definitely first year of sobriety, just because I was doing so much overeating because I didn't have the the drugs and alcohol anymore. It's like I had, you know, given up this one main defense I'd used for years. Um, so I had to go back to the food. I didn't know what else to do. You know, I didn't have the skills yet that you learn in recovery. Um, yeah, so I'd gained weight. And for me, when I talk about gaining weight, like really the pattern was kind of up and down 10 to 20 pounds. Right. Mostly. It was like, but it was up and down like all the time, back and forth. And it was um, 10 to 20 pounds, probably literally, but in your head, it was probably 100, 200 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's like the, within that range. Well, I mean, and I'm saying that in terms of having sponsored anorexics. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. I mean, right. it's just like... Yeah. You know, 10 pounds, I can't even see it. Yeah. And the emotional response is as if you've just gained 100 pounds. Exactly. Yeah. It's like each pound is yeah worth five. Yeah. For, you know, someone yeah. else. Yeah, definitely. There's still... And that was such a hard thing for me to figure out at first. Even though on the outside, I didn't consider myself anorexic anymore because, well, I was overweight. You know, right. even by just, you know, yeah. 10 pounds or so or maybe 20 sometimes. Um but I still had that anorexic mindset on the inside. Exactly. It was still, it was still my voice of judgment. Yeah. Even while I was doing all these other kind of permissive behaviors. Yeah. It was still there, you know, being so disappointed that I had managed to gain all this weight. That's what I was just thinking so. was, is that even though you didn't once, and this, and you've helped me learn this, you and someone else, a couple of people who I don't necessarily think I have permission to name. If I name a sponsee, it's, I'm just letting my people know that if I name it, they've given me permission. Yeah. Um, but which is that uh, even if you're not actively in an anorexic state, there's this idea that if you gain, you're a failed anorexic. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. you're either, so you're an anorexic. But if you have 10 pounds on you, you're mm-hmm. just failing, mm-hmm. you know, at your anorexia. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> and I it, I didn't understand that either until I got into the rooms. 
that's basically how I saw myself for that whole, I'd say about 10 years from like, say 20 to 30. Yeah. Um, when I couldn't hang on to the really strict anorexia anymore. Yeah. Um, even a little bit before that. And then, yeah, as I was struggling to get back into restriction as much as I could, I basically thought of myself as like, I was a failed anorexic. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've had to really learn that especially, yeah. and I actually want to dilate on this point for just a little bit because, you know, for those who don't know, and, and trust me, I've had to learn this too, so that when, when women say, you know, in the rooms, hi, my name's so-and-so, and I'm an anorexic and compulsive overeater, you know, a lot of us, including myself, will look at them and be like, well, you're 20 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. Why are you saying mm-hmm. you're anorexic? Yeah. Like, why are you even bringing that up? Yeah. And what I've learned over time is, is like, one, you know, well, you have to name your disease. Mm-hmm. You have, that's the whole point. That's why we say that shit is mm-hmm. just like, I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a history of anorexia. And then also in terms of sponsoring women is like, oh, now I know when you say that you're anorexic, you've, you know, you, your mindset is a little, the shape of your disease actually is a little bit different, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that gives me some information, Mm -hmm. you know, around like the idea of being a failed anorexic, you know, right. Yeah. And when the rest of the world thinks you look great, right. Yeah, and I actually have only been adopting that identification in meetings like within the last year, partially because of some of the work we've done together, where I, I wouldn't say right. that I was anorexic because, well, clearly I don't look like one anymore. Right. You know, Clearly that's not like how I'm wearing the disease right, right. now, um, but it is about like the thinking behind it. Yeah. It's like you can still have the thinking of an anorexic, yes. even if you're still doing some other behaviors and your body you know, yeah. looks you know, different or is even overweight. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, th- I do think that's an important identification. And we've talked a lot about how anorexia is so much being about being the disease of control. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it's yeah. a little bit different yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. So now we're at like, you're about 30, right? Mm-hmm. So you're in the rooms, you're getting... When did, how old were you when you came into OA again? So I was 30. Oh, you yeah. were 30. That's I, right. You yeah, I got sober that. and I was 30 and it was about six months later. Six months I later. Okay. Yeah. So now... So this is great because now we're coming up to like the previous 10 years Mm -hmm. where you get recovery, Mm -hmm. you know, you're working on that. You get to a healthy body weight, you get married Mm -hmm. and then you get pregnant. Yes. So before we get into (laughs) the pregnancy thing, let's, how old were you when you first got pregnant? Um, I was 36. Okay. So before we get to the pregnancy mm-hmm. thing, because again, like, so how was your re- relationship to your body between say 30 and 36, like your body image dysmorphia and feeling good in your body or any, you know, I would hope that you'd had some recovery around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it definitely, it was a gradual thing for me in the rooms, um, like a lot of people. And yeah, I can see how at this point. When I look back at this point, um, how it went through some different stages, like I really had to work to find acceptance of where I was at the time, um, even in, you know, a, a body that was 10 pounds heavier, right. um, then, you know, I, I wanted it to be, and I don't just want to say I wanted it to be, but like, you know, it was 10 pounds overweight in a way that didn't feel good. Right. Um, but I had to, yeah, when I really found, I was working on, it was all the spiritual piece, you know, really working on, okay, what if I'm going to be this weight for the rest of my life? Right. Can I accept that? Right. Um, and really doing that work where I did get to this level of acceptance. And it's so funny. I was actually thinking about this recently. 
that I got this little sort of weight range in my mind. This was probably around like 33-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of like that 10-pound weight range that I think for most of us, it's like, okay, if I'm within those 10 pounds, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm feeling okay. And that 10-pound weight range at the time, I'm now at a 10, my weight range is a 10 pounds lower than that as mm-hmm. far as like the high end and the low end. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just interesting to compare. It's not good or bad. Right. It just shows like my evolution um, yeah. and where, where I've come to with that and where my body is for a lot of reasons, um, where I totally was accepting of being at that kind of higher 10 pound range. Yeah. Um, and just was like, okay, this is where, if this is what I get, like, right. How do I live in this? Which um, is such a great way to love your body mm-hmm. because again, that's the whole, you know, okay, well, I don't want to go off on a tangent on this because I don't actually, we can do another conversation around that, which mm-hmm. is, so bef- let's go back, you know, before you get pregnant and it, and you're 10 pounds heavier, quote mm-hmm. unquote, then, but at some point, you know, your little girl, your inner children are like, are you going to love me now? Will you just mm-hmm. love me now? Mm-hmm. And getting to a place where you said, yeah, I will. Yeah. I will love you at this Right. You know, and again, to be able to detox from, mm-hmm. you know, our internal family system messages around, mm-hmm. you know, the voice that says, no, I won't love you until you lose 10 more pounds. Mm-hmm. So that's such a mark of your own recovery. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that was actually my experience. Like I lost 10 pounds every two years. It mm-hmm. was so fucking frustrating <laughs> yeah. because I was trying Yeah, and it was like this, you know, you know, divine universal joke where I was not allowed to lose another 10 pounds until I loved and accepted my body. Right. and was like, okay, if I right. don't lose any more weight, yeah, I'm going to still be, and it's, and you can't fake that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you can't, like you can fake having an orgasm to someone else, <laughs> yeah. but you can't fake an orgasm to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so it's like I would try to pretend, here, here, sister. Yeah, you know, I would try to pretend that I was there. Yeah. Once I, once like the twenty, once I sort of got what was going on, I was like, okay, if I. If I, okay, now I know what I need to do. I need to force myself to accept <laughs> yeah. my body and then see if I could get there faster. Yeah. No. And that's what us compulsive workers like mm-hmm. to do too, right? We're like, okay, I figured no. out this is, yeah, yeah, this is what it all hinges on. Yeah. yeah. How do I control that? How do I make that happen faster? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I know. That's the whole like the paradoxical nature, right? Yeah. Recovery, like, oh, and then, yeah, I only released more weight when I like got reached acceptance of the current weight where yeah. I was at. And then it's like, Oh, there's, I'm losing more weight without yeah. like right. being crazy because you don't care. Yeah. Because it's about, yeah. So many other things. It's not a priority for you anymore. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now you're getting married. Yeah. So I got married at 35. You're in your beautiful wedding dress. Yeah. I have a photo of, Yes. you know, with your wonderful bubble. Yeah. Bubble maker. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and now, so now you basically, so this is pretty classic, right? Mm-hmm. This is kind of a classic. It's like, I've arrived. Right. I'm married. I've got my husband. I've arrived. I look good. I feel great. Yeah. Let's get pregnant. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah. what was that like? Yeah. It's like, oh, I've, I've, I've achieved all these things I've been working for for years and years now. Let's throw a grenade in, in it. In there. Right? Yeah. yeah. And let's like, let's just take this body 
and surrender it. Yeah. You know, let's gain however many pounds. Yeah. Let's stretch things out. Totally. Let's whatever. So what was that like? Yeah. Especially now this I think is pretty critical because we could do a whole show on this and maybe we will in the in the future. Maybe we'll get the girls the mom squad together mm-hmm. and be like, "All right, sisters, let's talk." Because it's the same thing that the reason why you and I are having this conversation in the first place. It's like there are issues out there that all women have to deal with. Yes. And then there are wish those same issues like affect different communities diff- differently. Like if you're an immigrant woman or mm-hmm. if you're a woman of color or in this particular like you're a woman with an eating disorder mm-hmm. and your body is aging. Yes. Well, you're a woman with an eating disorder and you want to get pregnant. Yeah. And sur- and here's a good one. You're an anorexic. And yeah. for people who don't know, you know, Stacy and I have both learned that again, you know, in OA, the powerlessness is over the compulsion to eat food. Mm-hmm. So you're addicted to food mm-hmm. and it's that compulsion. And you may have that. Whereas there's a growing study that anorexia anorexia is about that you are addicted to control. Mm-hmm. And as women, the thing that you feel that you have the most control over, because it is the highest commodity yes. socially, is your own fucking body. Yes. Especially if you can't even like... If if the fact that legislation on your body is happening at a governmental level. Right. I mean, so it's a very direct way that women try to experience and express control is over their mm-hmm. body, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy. Yes. So there you are. All of that. Right. So you're surrendering <clears throat> control to your body. Mm-hmm. You. Yes. You're yeah. going to gain weight. Yeah. Your body's going to start. And you know, going in, it's not like no one told you, Hey, you get stretch marks. Yeah. Your feet might grow. What was that like? So I do have to say, I'm glad you brought up the stretch marks because one part of my story is that after my really intense anorexic period, when I, it's like most intense from like 12, 13 to like 16. And when I started gaining weight, when I couldn't keep that up, when I, you know, saw myself as a failed anorexic, I gained weight pretty fast. Like I probably gained, you know, 30 pounds and I don't know, a handful of months. Um, so I, I've had stretch marks since I was 17. Like I got stretch yeah. marks, you know, over my hips, on yeah. my breasts, under my arms, yeah, you know, the too. backs of my legs, um, because there was fast weight gain. Yeah. Um, and that was something I really struggled with for a long time. Like, Oh, I even have look proof, a permanent mark on my body that I'm a failed anorexic, <laughs> you know, um, I've come, I've made peace with them yeah. by the way. But yeah, so for me in in that sense, some of that was like, well, I've already got the stretch marks. Yeah. Like, I'm not afraid of those. My, yeah. I've had them. You know, by that time, I'd already had them for like 20 years. And yeah. I had to, you know, come to terms with them. So there was something kind of healthy in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when I look back at my first pregnancy, there is this, even though it's like, you know how it works yeah. and, and all that. But it's like, you can have a general understanding of how... I don't know, brain surgery works. It's like, okay, well, they're going to shave your head and then they're going to, you know, cut into your skull and then they're going to open this up. Yeah. I've got like the basic principles, but like actually doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, and in a way it's good. It's like, I don't think I would have done it had I known every detail where it's like, okay, here we go. Um, and even if you had known every detail, every woman is so different. It is very different. Yeah. Yeah. Like one thing for me is I started gaining weight kind of relatively quickly in the beginning just because the way my nausea worked and I would actually like 
eating was sometimes the only way that I would feel better yeah. from the nausea. And I remember my doctor saying something at one point of like, well, you're, you're kind of at a little bit higher weight gain in the first trimester than we would, you know, like you to be. Um, and that's a whole other side yeah. story about how she knew my history and knew how to talk to me about that in a, yeah. in a very compassionate way. But I had to learn that that's how I am pregnant because it happened in my second pregnancy too, where it's like, I kind of have this initial first trimester weight gain that's right. maybe higher than the average or higher than the ideal. And then you plateau. And then I plateau kind yeah. of for, you know, I gain a little bit more throughout the second, yeah. third, but it's not as much of a, yeah, an increase like some other people might have. So what was that like though? Relate again, you know, we're, you know, without intending to, we're sort of tracking your relationship in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You yes. know what I mean? And so now... Yeah. You're get you're pregnant and you're standing in front of a mirror and how yeah. you know and at the, and you're in the rooms. Mm-hmm. So there's probably a mixture of yeah. you know. Yeah, I think I mean the really recovery as well as the disease right. voice and everything. Right. It's like you got both both voices in your head yeah. after you've been in the rooms for a while. Uh thank God, you know, the voice of recovery starts to get louder than the disease voice. Um but yeah, I think one of the beautiful things about that time I remember is at least for me and I think it's true of a lot of pregnant women you're so obsessed with how much your belly is growing (laughs) that that's kind of what you're focused on right at least yeah it was like such a great distraction it's like do I look bigger today how about today yeah you know and you're like taking pictures and you're kind of you know tracking from week to week and then there's these little things you read about like your baby is about the size of a uh peanut of a peanut yeah and then it's the the size of a peach you know so you're like I'm obsessively like tracking all that. Um, so yeah, I really was like focused on just kind of that growth. And of course my breasts were gigantic. Yeah. I, that was something that I just Did you enjoy that? come to terms with. It was hard for me. I mean, I'd gotten used to it. That was one thing for me. Like, cause you're a normal size, right? So you're not small. You're not. Yeah. I'd always been kind of larger chested. I'm actually smaller now than I was oh, okay. before I got pregnant, which is a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a thing around anorexia for me, which I didn't realize at the time, but can see now that it was a, a way, of course, to... Desexualize exactly, the body, yeah. Desexualize myself. Yeah. And that then, part I knew. I didn't say anything. But again, it's sort of... Yeah. Weird, especially if you have hips and you have boobs. Right. You know, my again, my experience with being an, with anorexics in the room, because when I was in San Francisco, um, the meeting, there was a OA women's meeting that was tied to a treatment facility. Mm-hmm. And so the girls that were in treatment there would come over and that's how I would see a lot of Mm -hmm. anorexics and so many of them would just you know when they would cry about having to gain weight they would talk about their boobs yes yeah so anyway yeah so I had you know for years before getting pregnant I'd gotten used to having large breasts um and sort of just begrudgingly accepted them and and got more accepting it with more time in the rooms um but and that was a thing for me too where it's just like they did not wait. It was like, I got pregnant and then they got the memo the next day that were like, okay, gotta, you need to buy a new bra today. Um, and so that was like throughout my pregnancy it was just like giant boobs. Um, but it was kind of a different thing. You know, yeah. there's a different, there is a sexualization of the pregnant body. Yeah. That's its own whole subtopic. Yeah. But it, it was still different than just walking around, you know, being a woman in her twenties or thirties yeah. with giant boobs. Um, you know, with a pregnant belly, there's a whole other element to it so yeah I had to it definitely was hard like just sort of the burden of the body I think I was yeah. feeling like this the weight I mean the literal weight like the yeah. weight of my breast they felt so heavy and were so uncomfortable um I would compare myself a little bit you know you start looking up 
when you need to start wearing maternity clothes, mm-hmm. you start like looking for, you know, I got a lot of things from friends. I actually don't think I bought more than like a couple items, but you know, you start looking around at that media or yeah. people who find out the consumer powers that be that find out you're pregnant, start sending you stuff in the mail. You right. know? So then the next type of model that you're exposed to is the, the pregnant model. Well, guess what? The pregnant model is just another version of every other model where yeah. she's six feet tall and with thin arms and legs and a yeah. thigh gap, but she just happens to look like she swallowed a basketball. Bump. Yeah. Um, and that's not what my body looked like yeah. uh, pregnant. That was more like fertility goddess style, yeah. you know, yeah. with like there was a belly, but there was large breasts and just extra flesh on my arms and especially thighs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to do some work around and just get over like, that is not what my pregnant body looks like. Right. Because again, it's this ideal that very few women actually look like yeah. pregnant. Um, I and... remember when Jerry Hall, this is me aging myself, <laughs> when Jerry Hall was on Oprah and she was sitting in a chair and she was talking and whatever. And for people who don't remember Jerry Hall, just like she was a six foot model, right? Mm-hmm. Typical, whatever. Um, she used to be married to Mick Jagger. Anyway, yeah. she's sitting on a chair talking, talking, talking. And all of a sudden what comes out is is that she's eight months pregnant and people are like what yeah they like couldn't believe she had to stand up yeah and turn to the side yeah and then and you could hear the whole audience go yeah because she she was sitting in that chair the whole time and no one thought she was pregnant yeah you know now she was wearing a black top but again you couldn't there was no way to tell. Yeah, so I can't yeah. even imagine. So then it, yeah. so just to dilate just for a second yeah. uh, on the pregnancy thing is, you know, um, two things. One is, is, you know, the body image dysmorphia piece mm-hmm. on that. And then <clears throat> just in the interest of time, like, was your second pregnancy any different mm. in terms of, again, mm-hmm. you know, because you're getting older, you're pregnant. Yeah, my yeah, my second so my first pregnancy I got pregnant at thirty six and actually had my son at thirty seven and then my second pregnancy I got pregnant at thirty eight and had my daughter at thirty nine. Um yeah, the second one was different in that um it's like I knew what to expect, so there was just less of the shock factor. Mm-hmm. And there was also this sense of I knew it was gonna be my last child, I wasn't mm-hmm. gonna have any more children after this. So there was a sense of control more there, I think, on the second one of like, okay, well, I kind of know how this works now. So mm-hmm. as we know, yeah. those of us obsessed with control, the more information I have and the more experience I have, I'm going to use it to yeah. control things. Yeah. And so there was a little bit of, um, yeah, just, I wouldn't say I con- tried to control how much weight I gained, but I think part of it, honestly, too, was that. I was more active in a different way just because I had a toddler that I was already running after. Right. So I was active in this different way. Like I couldn't rest the way that I did during my first pregnancy. Like it right. just was not an option. I mean, I obviously, I want to let everybody know, like I did do a lot of self care and definitely rested, but it's just different when you already have another child. Um, yeah. And everything just was a little bit more hectic. And so just kind of the whole relationship to like resting and food during pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, was different during the second one. So I gained less weight. Um, my first pregnancy I gained about 40 pounds Mm -hmm. my second one I gained like 25 and both of those are considered within a healthy range Mm -hmm. um and it was about the same pattern though with my second one where I gained I wouldn't say a lot but I gained more initially like more than average Mm -hmm. um as they saw you know with the first one 
And then it definitely like plateaued. And I, it even was at the point where I forget how far along I was, maybe 30 weeks, mm -hmm. maybe in between like 25 and 30, somewhere around there where, and one of my visits, um, they were tracking my weight and they were tracking the size of the baby and the size of the baby looked a little bit under than what they wanted to see. So I had to do an additional ultrasound and everything turned out to be fine. Mm -hmm. But that was something I just remember kind of noticing being like, I'm not doing anything deliberate to not gain weight. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that was just different and just the way my body responded, I think too, and just the circumstances of my life. But yeah. I do, if I'm being honest, I have to say that the anorexic control part of my brain was like, yes, yeah. like, I'm noticing that I'm not gaining as much weight as in my first pregnancy. Right. And of course people are, some people are making comments about it. Yeah. You know, some people who love to talk about that, uh, certain family members, um, <laughs> you know, topic of conversation is like, how much weight are you gaining during your pregnancy yeah. Pregnancy, and everybody sharing their own pregnancy stories? You know, I just, I don't like talking about weight under any circumstances. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of would have to go along with those things. You know, if people ask me, it's like, they're going to have whatever reaction they're going to have. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, so now we're like post pregnancy. So there you are, you're in front of the mirror, both pregnancies. It, the, first of all, you also are in the room. So you have some yeah. recovery, Yeah. but there's more of a focus on the experience of pregnancy mm -hmm. versus like postpartum your body mm -hmm. but i do remember <clears throat> after the first one because i'm sponsoring at you th at this point there was and that's why i wanted to go ahead and get to the past the second one because yeah. it's the thing was like getting your body back yes so before we get to getting your body back yeah you know and you know but just again sort of tracking the body image dysmorphia you're looking in the mirror and this kind of would make sense, which is that be, pregnancy has taken over your body. Yeah. So it's, you're not looking, you, so you're like pregnant Stacy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And then, so it's like, oh, I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. Now you definitely have the like, what your body looks like in comparison to mm -hmm. other pregnant ladies and right. everything like that. So, but you're experiencing, so you, so like everyone in the rooms, you have good days, you have bad days. Yeah. Days that, you know, the shame hag is up and telling you, like, you're not as beautifully pregnant as someone else is. Right. And yeah. then you text us and we tell you, Stacy, you're fucking nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the shame hag. Yeah. Okay, so then there's that. Now we're moving into, because this is perfect, because you're moving into your late 30s. Yes. Literally. Yeah. 39. And getting your body back. Mm-hmm. And the expectations on that. And mm -hmm. now you've got, you know, whatever effects pregnancy has had on your body. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, is like I had a coworker who's like 5'2", mm -hmm. and she wore a size 10 shoe. Mm -hmm. Because during pregnancy, her feet grew like mm -hmm. two, like something crazy, yeah, yeah. like three sizes. So again, yeah. you know, not having had any children mm -hmm. on purpose. But then you have the like, okay, my body just went through pregnancy. So you don't even know if you're going to get the same body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was after my first pregnancy, a friend said to me, she has two kids. She's not in the rooms. Um, she said, well, in my experience, at least, and this might happen to you, like you'll weigh the same, but your body will be different or like your body will be shaped differently. I forget right. exactly how she worded it. Um, 
and I could exactly understand what she meant at the time. Now I get it. Right. Um, I actually weigh less than what I did before I ever got pregnant in the first place, but the shape of my body and, um, yeah, just as far as like what it looks like or the way it fits in clothes is right. different. Right. Um, yeah, and that was a whole, especially after my second pregnancy, knowing like that was the last one. Yeah, now it's this period of like, okay, I'm not going to be in that surrendering pregnant state anymore. Or Def- have the endorphins of pregnancy. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. to kind of, you know, buoy you up mm-hmm. while you're like watching your body expand. Right. That was like yeah. a side yeah. note. Like, I think that is part of the purpose of some of those endorphins. Yeah. Things that are going on in your body because you're just like, okay. Otherwise, you know, you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. And your body's going, everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's it's fine. Just, just yeah. pump out some endorphins. Yeah. I'm just going to make you feel a little foggy right yeah. now. Okay. Yeah. Go take a nap. Great. Glow, glow, yeah. glow, glow. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the endorphins are gone. Yeah. Right. You're kind of like I feel like you're sort of snapped back into the real world. Right. I don't read, you know, mainstream women's magazines, gossip magazines, you know, uh, on on purpose, and I haven't since I've been in the rooms. You know, very deliberately, just yeah. because of how toxic they are. But I would happen to come across, you know, things online or whatever. And, you know, Blake Lively or so-and-so, you know, they were spotted out six weeks after their pregnancy and you, know, you couldn't even tell that they just had a baby. It's always that narrative, you know, right. it's always, yeah. it's this whole, like, we're going to, we're going to deify you. We're yeah. going to kind of like fetishize you. You know, there's all these different aspects of fetishizing women's bodies and pregnancy is its own category. So we're going to fetishize you as this pregnant woman. You talk about what a miracle it is and do yeah. all that stuff. And then the first thing you need to do is make it look like you've never been pregnant before and that you've never had a baby. Yeah. Like, there's this whole like flip, like, and there's, you know, doors right. been slammed shut. There should be no evidence that this right. has happened. You know, that's the, like, again, the yeah. toxic, like cultural message. Yeah. I'm not saying I believe that. That's just the message. Um, but I'm seeing this and at least it seeps in, even yeah. if you make a point of avoiding it like I do. Which now we're d- dovetailing to, you know, the anorexia monster starting to kind of yes was awakened yes reawakened yeah so for me it was like okay you know how if if this is my sort of next stage of my body um what am I going to do to yeah move out of like this kind of postpartum you know pregnancy stage um so yeah definitely was like kind of reawakened for me um Doing a lot of exercise, and of course, I was just taking care of two kids, which will I was keep, about to which just will keep say, moving. I was you don't even have say, to do any exercise. Now you have two kids, yeah. You know, yeah. so again, the chaos factor is just right. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm taking them on walks every day in the stroller, just partially for my own sanity. But of course, there's part of that that's like, oh, let's see if we can like get in some hills so I can get in some extra cardio. Yeah. You know, that's there's ways that like I was trying to get a sense of control for sure. Yeah. Um, just yeah, looking at what I was eating, um, and not, not in a restrictive way exactly. I had to change my diet up right. uh, quite a bit because I had some postpartum hemorrhoids, which that's a fun thing that's that happens thing. to people. Um, and again, that's another, like, the weird spiritual gifts you get in the rooms or, where I wouldn't have made some of these changes in my diet that have right. helped me in a lot of ways unless I'd gotten those hemorrhoids. So, right. Thank you, hemorrhoids. <laughs> Uh, thank you, higher power, for sending me those hemorrhoids. Um, divinely inspired Yeah, hemorrhoids. divinely inspired hemorrhoids. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's some weird psychedelic yeah. 70s band that's been lost. Yeah, totally. In the yeah, yeah. name um, of a great album. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, so, anyway, changing my diet from some well, of that. Well, this is, and I know we got to wrap this up, but yeah. here's here's yeah, what, a, I know, here's what a great 
place to end because this is obviously going to be an ongoing conversation because what we have now is here you are, you're back to, you know, again, you've got your body back. Right. Right. You're actually 10 pounds less than you were when you started. Right. And you just turned 41. Yeah. And I will say, it's like what my friend said, like, you may weigh the same, but your body will be different. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I may weigh even less than I did uh, before I got pregnant, but things look a lot different. Um, yeah, I compare my breasts to deflated balloons. That's kind <laughs> of, uh, and I've, I mentioned earlier, like, they're smaller than yeah. they've pretty pretty much ever been in adult life, Yeah, which I have to say is a fucking relief. The people listening with large breasts, like, when you just have to deal with just, like, the weight of them and the attention from them, it's like, it's great having smaller breasts. This is yeah. just me and my... No, yeah. My story. Um, they're saggier, that's for sure. Um, yeah. But I do like that they're smaller and lighter. Um, but, yeah, so there's that. There's, um, you know, I've got some loose skin on my stomach. Um, there's... Let's see what else. There's just the general also just sagging of aging. So whether... Yeah. I don't know if it's also because I got pregnant at an older age where some of this... Yeah. It's my... I think there's evidence to back this up. Like my body's not going to bounce, quote unquote, bounce back as much from the stretching as if I had gotten pregnant. Yeah, because the elasticity in the yeah, skin I'm is, elasticity. Exactly. Is, is breaking down. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm probably going to have, you know, more sagging that's just going to stay with me yeah. than someone who's, you know, 10 years younger. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So it's like, that's all dovetailed for me um, with the, yeah, the postpartum uh, effects on the body and the aging, like really all together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like a lot of different types of surrender. There. In a way, I'm I'm grateful for that. It's kind of like, well, my body was already aging, and then let's take it through pregnancy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like an extra. It's definitely an extra, just layer of complexity to it. So, as a sort of way to end, is you know, you just turned forty one. Mm-hmm. You know, you're moving into, and we kind of talked about this a little bit, and it's a bigger conversation. I don't. You, we don't have to start it now, which is. You're actually moving into the decade where you will literally be losing your youth. Right. You know? And is there anything, you know, that from 41 you're sending? Because, again, you're at an age. I remember when I got a job at Northwest Perm and I was 40. Mm -hmm. and, uh, And I said something and, you know, all of my coworkers, well, not all of them. But a lot of them were like at least 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And I said something about, you know, not being young anymore. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, no, you're still young. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it felt weird to Mm -hmm. be 40 and have someone say that. I'm 50 and I'm Mm -hmm. telling you like, oh, no, you're still young. Yeah, yeah. You will hit. Now, what's really interesting is, is that about fast forward about eight years, you know, I'm 49, 50, with the same group of people, someone was explaining health insurance, you know, and I said something like, well, what about for a young person? Mm-hmm. And one of my coworkers goes, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and I, and I, and I was like, yeah, I don't get to call myself young anymore. Right. So it was interesting that yeah. I had that experience at like 40 versus 48. Yeah. You know, where oh, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, yeah, it was 48. Like I didn't get to call myself young anymore. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know. Yeah. For, we'll obviously have a part two to this in a few years, you know what I mean? But Right. You know, but from where you're sitting now, is there anything that... Yeah, I'd say I, I clearly feel, and this is also, we can go into this more later too, what's dovetailed for me is, you know, not only like getting older and getting pregnant, it's like there's the existential crisis that's around both of those things. Like there's, it's, they each have their own. Um, and for me, so it's just set me up for a one big existential crisis. And <laughs> great. That's another, you know, thanks. Thanks higher power. Um, here I am. But it's made me very aware of like feeling like I, I can feel that one foot is in youth and one foot is in yeah. old age. Like I feel that in just the way I move around in the world, just with the way and I how move the my world body, responds. how the world responds to me, Yeah, where I can have like many days, I'd say the majority of days still where like my body moves well, yeah. I don't have much pain. And then there's some days with some pain yeah. and it's like, Oh, this is a preview. Like, yeah. you know, some of this. So I, I'm experiencing both or I have days where it's like, Oh, my face will look still relatively young, mm-hmm. you know, but then I look at another day and I'm like, Ooh, the, I know. the lines are showing more today. And then yeah. they kind of go away again. It's like, yeah. it's sort of in this weird kind of coming and going stage. Um, yeah. So it definitely, it's like, I, I feel that sense very like viscerally almost yeah. of being yeah. in this, in this threshold kind of right. space. It's sort of like, you know, old age is this thing that's so far away that when mm-hmm. you're super young, you, it's so far away, it's irrelevant. You can't even, yeah. And then it starts to get, mm-hmm. you know, closer. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that's, I think the whole thing about turning 40 is you realize like, that that you know milestone of mm-hmm. quote unquote old age, mm-hmm. which actually when you turn fifty you're still young, but not to a thirty year old, yeah. oh, not yeah. to a twenty year old. So yeah. it's interesting because I'm having that experience. But it's yeah. like all of a sudden it's it's so right in front of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not up in your face yet, but mm-hmm. it's like oh, that is right there. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh yeah, I like to, I feel like this is some old cliche, maybe it's accredited to a certain person, but it goes through my head a lot these days where it's like, I always knew that people got old, I just never thought it would happen to me. me. Like, yeah. that's where yeah. I'm at, you know, I'm like, yeah. oh, it is happening to me, okay. Uh, and it's like, thank God. For so I want to, um, just because I know your time, I want to yeah. ask you one yeah, final question. So you know that this is the podcast, the, you know, for our tribe. Yeah. So, and it's a big answer, but very simply, but I always like to end with the recovery hope. Mm. So what, you know, in terms of this trajectory, everything we've talked about, what helped you navigate and continues to help you navigate? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's got to be the spirituality, right? I have to believe that there's this greater force, right? That my purpose of being here is about love and connection, right? And belonging. If it's about what I look like, I'm screwed. We're yeah. all screwed. Yeah. Um, that's what's very much becoming clear to me at this age. Um, yeah, it's got to be about the deeper, hard stuff. Yeah. Um, or the alternative is, frankly, for me, like despair and misery. Yeah. And you see that out in the world, right? Yeah. And all kinds Hence of people responding in all kinds of ways to it. Yeah. yeah but it's like, ooh, yeah, I've got this. The spirituality is got to be everything that I hang my sanity on. Yep, that's right? exactly it's, right. It's got to be my higher power. Yeah. Um, or really, yeah, I'm floating out there yeah. alone. 
Yeah. You see why she's my sponsee. <laughs> <laughs> I've been taught well. No, I didn't mean that. I mean that she would be that kind of person that I would want to sponsor. <laughs> you know, it's a mutual love fest. <laughs> you know, anyway. All right. Thank you. Love you, Nicole. Love you, Stacey. Bye.